Isaiah chapter 61. Let me say two things as we get started here tonight. As we start this message, you may say something like this. Well, you know, I thought you might bring a message on the couples together or maybe hit the men again or hit the lady. Amen? And uh, But you know what? I really believe, listen, if you will listen to this message, I believe that by the time we're done, in your heart you'll say, you know what? I can see why this message is so important for the marriage and the family. Second thing I want to just say is this, is that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that what I'm going to preach tonight doesn't lend itself to decisions. You say, well, Brother Barron, why is that? I mean, uh, if you preach the Word of God and the Holy Spirit convicts, isn't it just natural that we respond? Isn't that what we say? But you know what? There are certain areas of our lives. I'm talking about myself, too. There are certain areas of our lives that every single one of us we deal with and we battle with, but we don't want to admit that we battle with those areas for fear of what other people might think about us. Come on. Am I not right? I've been at this now for 35 years. That's a long time. Over that 35 years, I've found that any time you deal with an area of the emotion, and I know he'd agree with me, any time you, you preach on an area of the emotions, nobody wants to admit that they have that problem with that area of their emotions. Am I not right? But you know where a lot of marriages and a lot of families get out of hand? Is we don't control our emotions. Am I not right? We say things, we do things, we hang on to things that we shouldn't. And in the process, it not only hurts us, but it hurts the marriage. And it hurts the, uh, it hurts the kids. I'll give you an example. If I got up here tonight, and I could, if I got up here tonight and I preached a message on anger, on angry people. I'll tell you from past experience, nobody would want to come forward. Am I not right? Because nobody wants to admit they get angry. But is there anybody here that's never been angry? Huh? Hey, you're saying, well, I've never been angry. Well, I'll tell you something else about you. Your elevator doesn't run up all the way up and down. Amen? You're a sandwich shy of a fun meal. Amen? Why? Because we all get angry, but we just don't want to admit it. If I get up here tonight, and we're going to touch on this, if I get up here tonight and I preach a message exclusively on bitterness, nobody wants to come down the aisle and say, oh, I am a bitter person. But wait a minute, do we not all deal with it? Come on. Hello, right here, come on. Yeah, we all deal with it. It's an area of the emotions. If I get up and preach a message on discouragement, a lot of people have a hard time stepping out and saying, oh, preacher, man, I'll tell you what, I'm at the bottom of the barrel. Man, I am a discouraged, but we all deal with it. You know what my prayer is tonight? I really believe, listen, it is so important in your personal life. It's a message for all personal lives. But it's also a message for your marriage and for your family's future. And my prayer is tonight, when we preach this message, that, is that all of us will open up. And we will want God to deal with us because there is much tonight, I believe, as we close this family conference out, 
There is much tonight that hangs in the balance. You say, what hangs in the balance? The quality of life that you have for the rest of your life. You think, is that important? I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you can tell. I, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. My wife gets mad at me because I am so optimistic. I can take the worst situation. And, and I really can. You ask her. And I can see light in the worst situation. I really can. Sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> you know? But you know what? I would much rather be a happy person then somebody walks around with a thundercloud over their head all their life. Huh? And so, what, listen, what we're going to talk about, it affects that. Listen, it affects the quality of your marriage. Listen, they may never want to admit it. But you know what? Your spouse, see, that's a him or her term, amen? No spouse wants to be married to somebody that lives in depression all their life. I was going to say something else, but I didn't... I didn't I, Figured I'll leave it at that. Amen. <laughs> Nobody wants to be married to something like that. Uh, 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 listen, all of us as dads and mothers and grandparents, all of us want to, ought to want to set the right type of an example as far as our attitude and our outlook to our children and our grandchildren. Your your attitude affects the next generation. What your kids see on your face. Huh? It affects them. They leave the home. They're just like you, man. <laughs> and so, uh, I really hope tonight as we close this out that, that you'll really pay, there's, there's just a lot I believe hangs in the balance. Because you know what? All of us, myself included, uh, we, we all deal, right here, we all deal with what I'm going to preach on tonight. You say, how'd you get this message? Because I had to deal with this. <laughs> and you and I think, I think to myself, that's how I get most, I'm sure that's how he gets a lot of his math. I think to myself, you know what, if I'm dealing with this, there's probably a lot of other people dealing with it too. And so, you know, I'm in the same boat as you are. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I want to bring you a message tonight, and I really hope it sticks with you as you walk out of here. I want to bring you a message tonight entitled, Quit Looking in the Rearview Mirror. Amen? Did you get that? What is it? Quit Looking in the rearview mirror. But you know what? That's a, what a lot of us, including myself, that's what a lot of us do as we go through life. Let's pray. Father, bless the time that we have here tonight. Lord, I pray that you will tonight especially help me to be a real blessing and a real encouragement to the dear folks that are here tonight. I pray tonight that, that, uh, uh, that there's nothing that I say tonight that might be discouraging, but rather that it might be encouraging, that might offer every one of us hope as to how we can better live our lives, understanding that it not only affects our lives, but, oh, it so much affects our marriage and our children. Give us a good service. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know what? I think there's more people than we would ever imagine 
that live in or hold on to something in the past. They can't wait to tell you how miserable they are or how bad they've had it in life. You know what? It's normal. If you're normal, it's normal to go up to people and say, Hey, how you doing? Am I not right? Let me ask you something. How many of you have done that already tonight? Anybody here? You walk up to somebody? Yeah, what's the matter with the rest of you? Man, y'all, man, boy, a scary thought. Come on. I have probably said that 50 or 60 times this week alone. Well, hey, how you doing, man? But did you ever stop and think, there's some people you never want to ask that question. Huh? <laughs> how you doing? Well, brother, man. You know, it all started 30 years ago. And you're thinking, oh my. Not long ago, I was preaching a meeting in Zephyr Hills, Florida. That's where they get that bottled water from. But I was preaching a meeting in Zephyr Hills, Florida. And uh, one night, an old man, I mean, he was an old man. He came up to me and said, Brother Barron, do you like seafood? I said, yeah, I like seafood. He said, can I take you out to lunch tomorrow? I said, if it's okay with the preacher, it's okay with me. He checked with the preacher, and the only condition the preacher put was the assistant pastor. His name was Rick. The assistant pastor had to go out with us. And so we went out to the to the seafood restaurant, and uh, I w- we sat in the booth. I was on the outside of the booth. Rick was here, and the old man was looking right across. We ordered our seafood, and then I made that mistake. I looked across, and I said, so, how are things going? I'm not kidding you. For the next... 45 minutes. He told us nothing but how bad he had it in life. If it would have ended there, I would have been happy. But it didn't. I kid you not. When he got done after 45 minutes, you know what he did? He started all over again. And almost, literally, almost word for word, he did it again. We got done. We went out in front. I said goodbye to him. I don't think I was ever so glad to see a guy leave. I said goodbye to him. I turned to Rick. I know Rick well. I've had probably, uh, oh, five or six meetings at this church. I turned to Rick and I said, Rick, can you believe that? Anger. Hmm? And Rick is laughing. He said, well, you're stupid for asking him that. <laughs> he said, you know... He said, Bill, he said, do you know why he told you that story twice? I said, I have no idea. Rick's laughed. He said, here's what he said. He said, he just wanted to make sure that you knew how bad he had it. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you know somebody like that? Come on. Huh? Yeah? Don't look around. Don't do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know, so they're always looking back. They're always crabbing and complaining. Huh? You know what's scary? You raise your hand, but you know what's scary? Somebody might be thinking about you right now too, huh? <laughs> hey, let me ask you another question. A little bit more personal. Have you ever had something happen in your life and it's just kind of hard to put it to rest? Right here. You notice who had it, huh? Yeah. You remember it? You live it over and over and over, and you, it's just so easy to carry it with. Am I not right? It's easy. You know what? I dare say, in a crowd this size, every, get this, every single adult, and probably many of the young people, 
if not all of the young people, dads and mothers, could get up and they could give testimony to a disappointment, to a hurt, to a wrong, to an injustice that's been done to them. And if they're honest, they'll say this, you know what? I've never gotten over it. I know hundreds of people tonight. I know hundreds of people tonight. Very successful people. But they're living a sour, angry, bitter, depressed life. And as they go through life, you never see them smile. I mean, their face looks like a stewed prune. I mean, they almost remind you of an undertaker looking for a customer. Huh? Always talking about what they've been through. Always talking about how bad they've had it in life. Now, here's what happened. That person, nice people, but you know what? They don't realize it. But what has happened is they become trapped in their past. My Bible says this, John 10.10. I am come that they might have what? Life. In other words, listen. The number one reason, the first reason that Jesus Christ came is so that we might have life. Amen? So that we might have eternal life. But now wait a minute. That verse doesn't end. There is a second half to that. Oh man, I'm so happy. The Bible says this, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. In other words, after you get life, then God, as you live the rest of your life, wants you to have the abundant life. In other words, He wants you to have the life that is above the ordinary. God wants you to have that. I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me a little bit happy. You know what's so sad? There's a lot of Christians today that hold on to the past. They wallow in self-pity. Every chance they get, every opening they get, they talk about how bad they've had it. They've got a what I call a someone-done-you-wrong story. And you know what? For somebody like that, it's like a scab that's trying to heal. Every time you talk about it, be honest tonight, every time you talk about it, every time you think about it, you know what that does? That opens up that old wound, and it never heals. You know what? I really believe this. I believe one of the greatest spiritual lessons that all of us can learn is that there just comes a time in our life when we need to let the past be the past. When there are things in our life, listen folks, we need to let them go. Folks, listen, don't let the past poison your future. Now, real quickly here, let me lay some groundwork here. Two reasons why I want to lay this, I'm laying this groundwork. First of all, so you understand where I'm headed. But then secondly, so that everybody in here will understand the wonderful truth that God not only wants you to learn tonight, but He wants you to claim so that you can have everything that God wants you to have in your life, in your marriage, and for your children, for your family. In Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah here announces a twofold purpose or a twofold commission of Jesus Christ. Number one, to bring the gospel at his first coming. In other words, at his first coming to bring the message of salvation. And then secondly, to bring judgment 
on unbelievers and comfort to Zion at His second coming. You see, Isaiah here is not talking about himself. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in verses 1 and 2, the verses that I read to you tonight, he gives us at least six purposes or six reasons for his coming. Now, before you start getting discouraged right off the bat, I don't have a six-point sermon. Amen? I've only got one point. Isn't that great for the last night? Come on. Huh? One point, three hours. Amen? That's so all of you will run out the door after the service, and I've got all the pizza. Amen? Now, we won't be that long, okay? Uh, there are more reasons for His coming. Uh, but but here, He gives us at least six. I, I'll give them to you real quickly. I'm not going to preach on them, but I, just to show you where we're at. In verse 1, the first purpose, He says this, the preaching of good tidings of the meek. In other words, what that's talking about there is a free pardon for our sins. The second purpose, He says this, to bind up the brokenhearted. We see that over in Psalm 147 and verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. The uh, third purpose is also in verse 1, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Who are the captives? The captives are the servants or the slaves to sin and Satan. Jesus Christ has come to proclaim liberty, to make all of us an offer of release. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Over in verse 2, we have the fourth purpose, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, or a time of acceptance. You say, Brother Barons, what is that time of acceptance? That's the time that you and me have while we're living down here in this earth to get saved. You know what? I, I don't know anybody's background, but as long as you're breathing in and as long as you're breathing out, you have a chance to get saved. That is your time of acceptance. The very moment you stop breathing, your time of acceptance, your chance of getting saved, it's done. If you did not get saved, you are doomed, you are condemned to spend forever in hell with no hope of ever getting out. So your time of acceptance is now while you're alive. Second Corinthians 6.2 Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In verse 2, we have the fifth purpose. The day of vengeance of our God. You know, the, the verse that I think of automatically on that is over in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, where the Bible talks about the great white throne judgment. Verse 2 ends with the sixth purpose, to comfort all that mourn. What's that? That shows the compassion of our Lord. If you went over to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, over there you would read the second beatitude. It says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this is very important. I'm still taking, I'm laying the foundation, taking somewhere. We won't be long though. Verse 2 ends with five very important little words. Look in verse 2. To comfort all that mourn. But now we come to verse 3 and we see six more very important little words. It says this, to appoint unto them that mourn. Now let me read that to you as one. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn. Now you say, Brother Barons, it almost seems like the Word of God is repeating itself. Does it not? But it's not. 
What God is saying is this, is that what you see up above in verse 2 is not enough. God says, I am not only going to comfort those of you that mourn, but I am going to give you, in verse 3, I'm going to give you, or I'm going to appoint unto you, three more things. And here's the three things. Not three points of the sermon, but I want to give you the three things. First of all, beauty for ashes. Now, I don't know about you, but even if I didn't know my Bible, that would sound pretty good to me. Amen? If I just got saved and opened up my Bible to that verse, and God says, I want to give you beauty for your ashes. I may have no idea what that means, but I say, you know what? I'd take God up on that. Amen? I mean, it sounds pretty good to me. Now, we're going to, we're going to come back to that in just a second. Beauty for ashes. What is that? That speaks, get this, that speaks of your attitude. Your attitude. Your outlook. As you go forward in life. Remember that. Back in Bible days, people that mourned would literally lay down in the ashes. And God says this, if you'll let me. Did you notice that first word? Because you got a free will. If you'll let me, I'll lift you up from the dust. I'll put a smile back on your face and I'll put a skip back in your step. If you'll let me. The second thing he says this, I'll give you the oil of joy for mourning. That speaks of your emotion. In other words, God says again, if you'll let me, I will get you to where you will no longer look on the dark side of life. Hey, that's a great promise, isn't it? In other words, God says, I can get you, if you'll let me, I can get you to where your face shines again. Where it radiates again. Huh? You see, we need to understand something here. You ever see a Christian that never smiles? Come on. They walk around with a per perpetual frozen frown. Hey, how you doing? Did you hear him? Hmm? And they think they're spiritual. Come on. But you know what God says? The type of person that wears that kind of a face. What God calls a mourning face. Mourning. God says, that's not a spiritual face. It's a disfigured face. Meditate on that for a little bit. Then thirdly, He says this, I'll give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It speaks of your expression. Back in Bible days, beautiful garments were worn on happy Thanksgiving days. Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, why does God want to still... We're just about there. We're just about there. Why does God want to give us these three additional areas? Verse 3 tells us why. That they... Who's they? That's you. Everybody sitting here tonight. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that He... Who's the He? God. That He might be glorified. God likens... If you're saved, God likens you as a tree of righteousness in the garden of God. Why does He do that? So that through you and how you live your life... God might be glorified. Amen? Now, but wait, we say amen, but we need to understand this. What's he saying here? There is nothing that gives God more glory than a man, a woman, a young person, that after they're saved, after they're saved, 
they serve God with a glad, happy, white spirit. Hmm? You know why? Because other people look at them and they say, hey, there's something different about that person. That guy's got something that I don't have, but I want it. If I see somebody walking down the street and they're never rejoicing in the Lord, they're never happy, they're never, you think I want what they got? Man, I want to stay away from them. Man, they got the, they got the spiritual measles, amen? Man, I don't want what they got. And God says, hey, they got to see something different in your attitude. Now, with that all in mind, I want us now to go and look at verse 3. God says this to every one of us. Here's what, here's one of the things I, I believe one of the most important things that I want to do for you in your life. To them that mourn, I'm going to explain that. To them that mourn, I want to give you beauty for your ashes. Now I'm going to say it again. Doesn't that sound great? Huh? I could be an unsaved reprobate. And if I were reading that or I heard that, I'd say, you know what, that sounds pretty good to me. But now wait a minute. Remember what God's talking about here. That's talking about your attitude. That's talking about your outlook as you go through life. God says this. Look at that verse right there. You don't, if you, if you got a Bible and you're not looking at that verse, I'm going to preach an extra 20 minutes. Amen? Say, I don't have a Bible. Grab a songbook. Just pretend. Amen? Notice what it says here. God says He wants to give unto them beauty. Now, here's the reason I'm stressing this. What's that next word? Beauty, what's the word after that? For. For. I don't know if you underline your Bible, but if you underline your Bible, you ought to underline that little word because that's the key to everything I'm going to preach on tonight. For. You say, preacher, it's just the word for. Yeah. But God says this, I want to give you beauty. What's the next word? For ashes. You say, why is that word so important? God says, I want to give you beauty. But before I can give you beauty, there is a trade. Did you get that? <laughs> there is a trade or an exchange that has to take place in your life before you can get beauty. God says, you want beauty in your life, do you? God says, you got to make a trade with me. <laughs> God says, you've got to give me your what? Ashes. Now, is it sounding like a pretty good trade so far? Does it kind of sound so far like you're getting the better end of the deal? Huh? Man, we're almost ripping God off. Huh? Come on. God says, you've got to give me your ashes. I'll take your ashes, and if you give them to me, you've got to give them to me. That's a trade. There's got to be an agreement here. If you give them to me, I'll give you beauty. Now, wait a minute. What are the ashes? Well, in everyday life, if just common, if we weren't even talking spiritual, what are ashes? Somebody with participation time. What are ashes? Don't even think spiritual. Think everyday life. What are ashes? Say, go ahead. You got it. Leftovers. It's what's left over after. Listen, if if I brought some wood in here right now and I started a fire right here, Amen. Now, the meeting would probably end a little bit early, amen? And he would deduct some money from me to pay for the carpeting, amen? But after that fire had gone down, what would be left over? The ashes. You see, listen, 
The ashes also in the spiritual realm represent what is left over after something is burned or destroyed. You say, well, preacher, what do the ashes represent in my life? Are you ready for this? Those ashes, for some of you, maybe not for all of you, those ashes, maybe for some of you, represent the broken dreams that you've had in life. Hmm? But maybe for some others, those ashes represent maybe some of the disappointments and the pain that you've had in life. And then maybe for some others sitting here tonight, those ashes represent maybe some tragedies or a tragedy that has happened in your life, maybe years ago. Then maybe for some others, those ashes represent some, uh, maybe what other people have done to us. Oh, now we're getting personal, aren't we? The wrongs that other people have done to us as we've gone through life. Maybe for others here, those ashes represent hurts or failures that we've had to endure in life. And guess what? I'm going to let you in on a revelation that maybe you've never heard before. Are you, can you handle this tonight? We all have them. That's nothing new, is it? We all have them. There's not a person here that's immune to them. Not one of us. But in order for God to give us beauty for ashes, listen to me, friend, that trade, that exchange, has to take place. God says, do you want beauty? Do you want everything I have for you? you want a new attitude? you want a new spirit? you want a new outlook? Listen, I'll give it to you, but you've got to let go of the hurts. You've got to let go of the bitterness. You've got to let go of the anger. You've got to let go of the self-pity. Preacher, I know we're King James Version here, but can I give you the Baron's paraphrase? You didn't look real happy when I said that. (laughs) Yeah, I qualified that. You know what the Baron's paraphrase is? God says this, you've got to quit looking in the rearview mirror. Amen? And then and only then can God give you beauty or a new beginning. You know what I think? I think one of the worst things that a man, a woman, a husband, a wife, a young person can do is to allow their past to poison their future. But you know what? There's millions of people tonight in our churches that are doing that. Now, you may sit here tonight. I have, I don't know anybody's, I know nobody, he hasn't talked to me about a thing all week. You know what? Maybe there's somebody here tonight and you're thinking about something right now and you say, Preacher, I understand everything you're saying. But I have had something happen in my life I just can't put it in the past. I'm going to tell you something, friend. That's an awful heavy price that you're saying that you want to pay. You need to understand something tonight. If you are not willing to let go of the old, then God can't give you the new. He can't. You say, but Preacher... I can't do it. And what you're saying is, is you want to remain trapped in your past. That's what you're saying. You're saying that you want to keep those emotions, you want to keep those feelings over claiming the promises of God. Now, so you won't think I'm too mean, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or negative or nasty. Let me, let me just qualify some of this. You're here tonight. Somebody here tonight. I'm preaching to myself too, by the way. 
You're here tonight, and 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 maybe you've been hurt. I don't know. Maybe you've been hurt. You're thinking of a hurt right now. Maybe somebody has wronged you. Maybe you suffered loss or you suffered tragedy. Can I say this so you won't think I'm being too mean? It is absolutely normal to grieve. Does that help a little bit? You're normal. Amen? It's normal to grieve. Uh, it, you're absolutely normal to feel sorrow. If you're somebody like me, and I'm guessing him maybe even too, it's normal even to get angry. Huh? I don't want to cry, I want to kill. Hmm? It's normal. But here's the problem. Listen, I understand it. Here's the problem. If we're not careful, there's a lot of Christians, dads, mothers, husbands, wives, young people, we allow a season of mourning to turn into a lifetime of mourning. I know, I know a husband, I know a dad. I use that term on purpose. A husband and a dad that had a problem. I'm not, I'm not going to go into it, but he had a problem. He had a situation come into his life. And he never got over it. Never got over it. He could have, but he never did. He chose not to. This man, this husband, this dad, um, lives in an area where there are four, I mean, four very, very good fundamental independent Baptist churches. Four good ones. He's not a member of any of them. But he church hops from church to church to church. This man has had hundreds of hours of counseling from these four pastors. Everywhere he goes, he talks about this situation. You can't shake hands with him and talk to him for more than 60 seconds. He doesn't bring up the situation. Now here's, the, here's my problem. I preach, I hold revival meetings in all four of these churches. And every time I hold a revival meeting, guess who's sitting out there? My buddy. We're, hey, he has spent time, he has stayed at my house with his family. So it's not like I don't know him. They've stayed overnight. I mean, they've, we're friends. He's sitting out there. As soon as I end the service, Amen. You know what he's doing? He's out of his seat. You've seen him, preacher. He's out of his seat. And he's looking to get me cornered. And I have learned if he can get me cornered, he's got me for about an hour. And as soon as I see him, I'm looking for the exit door. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I've learned that. I've learned that. Huh? The last time I was in that area preaching a meeting was September. There he was. Brother, sitting right about where you're sitting. You're sitting there. As soon as I said amen, boom, out of his seat, down the aisle. I'm kind of slow. I'm a Marine. Amen? We're kind of, it, it takes us a while to kind of figure out. But you know what? Last September, all of a sudden, for the first time, it hit me. When he's coming down the aisle, it hit me that that man really didn't want to get over his problem. 
He enjoyed, get this, he enjoyed wallowing in his self-pity. Do you know why? He liked the attention it got him. He became, get this, he became known as the man who has this problem. You bring up his name, people say, oh, I know him. He's the man that's got that problem. Now, wait a minute. What happened? Get this. We forget about this. He has allowed his problem, his past, to become his identity, his testimony. This man, because he would not deal with it, get this, he ruined, literally he ruined his marriage. This man has a big family. You say, preacher, how big? Twelve kids. They've all stayed at my house overnight, too. <laughs> you got to see the food bill for that. <laughs> Twelve kids. But you know what? Listen to me. This is sad. Every one of his children, every one of them, but his oldest son, will have absolutely nothing to do with him anymore. See, preacher, what's his problem? I'll tell you what it is. He's holding on to the ashes. And God can't give him the new until he lets go of the old. If he would have been willing at an early time to let go of those ashes, you know what? He would have had the type of marriage he should have had. His kids would not have turned their back on him, and many of them, because of the way he acted, turned their back on God also. Folks, listen. You're here tonight. I'm going to say it again. I know I'm repeating myself. I don't know anybody's background. But you're here tonight. And just maybe, just maybe, you've had a relative or a family member that's wronged you. Maybe there's somebody here tonight, I don't know, maybe there's somebody here tonight, you've had a husband or a wife that has left you. Maybe you've had an employer fire you. Maybe you have had, and we've all had this, maybe you have had somebody that you considered a friend, and they turned on you. They hurt you. They stabbed you in the back. Can I give you some good advice? Would you like some good advice? I'm going to give you some advice. Put it behind you. Put it behind you. You know what I've learned? Bill Barron's, I can't control what other people do or say about me. Neither can your preacher. Preachers learn that real quick, don't we? <laughs> I'm going to say it again. I can't, I can't. I can't control what other people do or say about Bill Barron's. I can't. But you know what I can control? I can control my attitude and my spirit. And so can you. I have learned that those people are going to answer to God for what they've done. But I am going to answer to God for my attitude and my reaction and my spirit. And so are you. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 says this, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Now, let me just stop and say something. This isn't wrong. I preach it this way. A lot of times when we as preachers preach this, we preach it in the context of anger. Do we not? 
Nothing wrong with that. I, I've got messages on that. But it's interesting, the Bible says this, He that hath no rule over his own what? Spirit. That talks about our entire spirit. The entire realm of our emotions. God says, you know what, if you want to, if you really want to, you can have the rule over your entire spirit, your entire attitude, your entire emotions, if you want to. You know what I run into? I don't know how to react to it. I run into people, they'll come up to me. I'm talking, I'm talking men and women, 40 and 50 years of age. How old? 40 and 50. Oh, brother, Oh, wow, man, I feel so, oh, yeah, you do, you don't know what happened. Oh, my, and I, yeah, I begin to think, man, I've had it pretty good compared to them. And I'll say, oh, brother, sister, when did this happen? It was way back when I was in high school. You think I'm kidding? I am not kidding you. And they're carrying that with them, those ashes. And then they wonder, preacher, I don't know what, I don't know what, my marriage is just gone and my, my kids, they, I mean, they don't love me, they don't want to be around. Hello? Huh? People that never get over things. Always talking about, oh, preacher, pray for me. When they bring that up, they listen, they open up the old wound. Year after year after year, they carry those ashes with them. And listen, the ashes never get lighter, folks. They always get heavier. Ladies, ladies, listen to me, ladies. I like the story of Ruth in the Bible, ladies. I don't have time to tell it. But you know what? Ruth had it rough. Ladies, but it's interesting. If you study the life of Ruth, Ruth never blames God. Ruth never gets an angry, negative, bitter spirit. You never see Ruth living in the past. Now, to make a long story short, you see, I think sometimes we forget the initial principle that God wants us to understand about Bible stories. To make a long story short, one day, a man by the name of who? Boaz. Walks along, looks out of the field, sees Ruth, falls in love with her, and what happens? They end up getting hitched. Amen? Now, what is the Bible principle here? God gave Ruth beauty for ashes. Amen? Think about it. Can you imagine, listen, can you imagine if Ruth would have had an angry, bitter, negative spirit? We'd have never seen this story. And Ruth would have never realized what she missed out on until it was too late. Men? Men? Oh, the men were smiling when I was preaching on the women, huh? As soon as I said men, the, the, all the men went, mm. Men? If there is anybody in the entire Bible that had an absolute right to carry the ashes of the past with them, and nobody would have blamed them, it would have been Joseph. Am I not right? We'd all say, hey, he's got a right. Hmm? 
Here's a boy. Did you get that? Here's a boy taken from his father, hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, set up by a woman, lied about, falsely accused, stabbed in the back, spent years in prison. And they didn't have cable TV back in those days. I wonder why. You know why? Because Joseph refused to look in the rearview mirror. Huh? Joseph refused to carry the ashes of the past with him. Have you ever watched a buzzard circling a roadkill possum on a hot day? Huh? Possum waddling across the road. Here comes a car. Boom, boom. You all know that, don't you? First tire hits him. There's the guts. Got a picture? Huh? Couple hours go by. Hot, sunny July day, Pennsylvania. Flies come down. Meat's turning green. It's turning smelly. It's turning rancid. Flies come down. Lay the eggs. Maggots. The buzzard. He's flying along. He looks down. He sees the roadkill. Amen? He sees the green meat. He sees the, uh, the, the, the flies and the maggots. In that little buzzer's head, he says to himself, hmm, now there's a feast. Am I not right? You know what? That's a lot of Christians today. Every day of their life, if they're not careful, they get up and they feast on the roadkill of the past. Things that other people want to stay as far away from, that they want to have nothing to do with because they realize the danger. We're not careful. All of us, all of us, we can begin to feast on that garbage. We feast on the hurts and the wrongs and the anger and the self-pity and the past pains and the past failures. And every morning we get up and we bring along a wheelchair full of junk from the past. And we carry it with us all day long. Can I say, I'm done, I'm done. But can I say something you won't think I'm being mean? Can I say something? Nod your head, I'm gonna say it anyway. I just, it just makes me feel good when everybody goes like this, you know, it just makes me feel better, you know? Cause I'm gonna say it anyway, you know? I'm gonna give you a lesson in Life 101. When somebody comes up to you, remember the beginning of my message? When somebody comes up to you and they say, so how you doing? They really don't want to know the story of your life. There's only one person that ever gets invited to a pity party. My wife? No. My husband? No. My kid? No. You. That's it. I see certain people. You know what I think? Man, where can I hide? Where can I hide? You know what? If Joseph and Ruth had carried the ashes of their past with them, if they'd have cried and they complained and they'd had a pity party, God could not, God would not have used them later on in life. God could not have given them beauty for their ashes. Hmm? Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody here that can change the past? Then why live there? Hmm? If you can't change it, then why lay down in the ashes of self-pity? Hey, let me ask you this. 
I know we're in kind of an odd area here in central Pennsylvania. Amen? You say, why is that? Because I was raised here. <laughs> just maybe. Just maybe. I don't know. Just maybe. Maybe Jared over here has it. I can just tell. He made, is there anybody here maybe in your garage? You got a tarp over it. Is there anybody here that maybe has a time machine? Huh? Some of you are kind of smiling. Some of you are going, you know, this, this, you know, what's, here, but wait a minute, here's the point. You preacher, nobody has a time machine. Yeah. That's the point. The point is the past is the past. There is nobody here tonight. There's nobody here tonight that can go back in the past and undo one minute of your life. So why live there? Why? Why take a chance on ruining your life and your marriage and your children and your grandchildren when God says, hey, here's a way out. I'm going to make you a deal you can't refuse. <laughs> Give me those ashes. And I'll give you beauty. You know what? We're all prone to it. We're all prone to it. And there's something that all of us can do if we want to. We can refuse to lay down in the dust. We can refuse to dwell, think about problems and hurts and wrongs and tragedies of the past. No longer sit around and worry about and think about and talk about about what could have been and what should have been. Because you can't change it anyway. You know the best advice I could give you for your marriage and your family? This whole week. This whole week. You can apply every other sermon that I preach this week. But if you don't apply this, all these other things will be wiped out. Best advice I give you? Quit looking in the rearview mirror. Don't refuse to be a prisoner of your past. D.L. Moody used to say this all the time, and he knew what he was talking about. D.L. Moody used to say, I have never known God to use a defeated, discouraged person. Do you know what a defeated, discouraged person is? A person that carries ashes. That's what it is. Quit looking in the rearview mirror. Let go of the ashes of the past. And you know what you'll find out? You see, this is a promise. And you'll never know that promise. You'll never experience that promise till you claim it. When you say, I'll no longer live in the ashes of the past, God then, when you claim that promise, God then will give you beauty in return. He'll give you a new attitude, a new outlook, a new spirit, a new future, if you just let go of the ashes. I've learned in my own life that there's absolutely no situation in your life that can defeat you, that can master you, until you yourself pull down your own flag and surrender. Quit looking in the rearview mirror. Claim the promise of God. And I'll tell you what, it really will be one of the greatest promises that you ever claim. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to say what I said at the beginning of my message. What I'm preaching tonight, it doesn't lend itself to decisions. It really doesn't. Because, because just by necessity, just by nature, nobody wants to admit, well, I'm an ash carrier. But I'm going to tell you something. Bill Barron's, as he preaches this message, there is not a month of my life that I don't have to dump ashes. 
There's not a month that doesn't go by that I've got to come to God myself, that I have to come to God and say, God, I, I need to make a trade with you. And I've learned, listen, I've learned, if I don't do that on a weekly basis, did you get what I just, I'm, this is the preacher talking. If I don't do that on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, whatever it is, those ashes pile up in Bill Barron's life. And I'll tell you what, it hinders my marriage. How about yours? It hinders my relationship with my kids. My kids sometimes, if I let it go, my kids say, Dad, something wrong? All of a sudden it hits me, oh my. My kids can even see it. How about you? Are you willing to be honest enough tonight for your self's sake, for your marriage, for the example that you set for your children, your grandchildren, to say, you know what, I'm in the same boat you are, preacher. As I look at my life tonight, I, I can see some ashes. As you were preaching tonight, I, I maybe saw a face or some faces in my life of people that hurt me or wronged me. As you were preaching tonight, I automatically thought of a tragedy or a problem, and I've been carrying it. And I need to make that trade tonight. Brother Barons, would you pray for me tonight that I would make the trade ashes for beauty? Would you pray for me tonight that I'd be able to do that? Would you slip up your hand? Just slip it up. Hold it up high and I'll pray for you tonight. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven hands. Anybody else? Thank you. I appreciate that. Seven hands. Anybody else? Come on, dads, husbands, men, ladies, wives, mothers, teenagers. Come on. We all deal with it. The only question is, you're going to put aside the excuses, put aside the pride, and say, you know what, I need, I need to make a trade tonight. Anybody else, real quickly. Just slip it up, put your hand down, I'll pray for you. Seven hands already. Anybody else? Anybody else? Preacher, yes, would you pray for me tonight? Anybody else? Real quickly. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had here this evening. And Lord, I pray that all of us, every single one of us, as we go through life, Lord, we all have hurts. We all have pains and trials and tragedies. We all get stabbed in the back. We all get that. Lord, where the real problem is, is so often if we're not careful, we begin to carry it. And you call those things that we carry ashes. And so, Lord, tonight in the lives of these dear people, at least seven of them, and I'm dare guessing probably a couple more, if we were honest, that right now we're thinking of situations we're thinking of ashes that we're carrying. And I pray right now that tonight, before we even walk out of here, we'd make that trade. That we would trade those ashes. That right here on the spot, you'd give us beauty. I pray that we do that tonight. A new beginning, a new attitude, a new spirit. Help us not to be trapped in the past. Help us to quit looking in the rearview mirror. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.